Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Smith Alley. Welcome to the podcast, Smith. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Um, We're going to talk, and really, Smith is going to bravely talk about his pornography use. He is currently 18 years old. He's a senior at Bountiful High School. And he, like many wonderful people in our community, um, started to use porn um, for about five years and then ended porn and then felt at a really young age to talk about it, um, which is um, very courageous on his part. But if you're working to solve porn or working to help others solve porn or parents trying to better manage this in your home, this podcast will help you. I listened to Smith Alley's podcast this morning on my friend Todd Sylvester's platform, and I sometimes go walking really early in the morning around 4.30, and several times I just stopped and pulled out my phone and wrote down notes of the things that he said. And this guy is 18 years old, but he has a pretty mature perspective. He's spoken to hundreds of thousands of people around the country on this topic. He also talks about helping to prevent suicide. And if you're feeling suicidal or you're trying to help others that are suicidal or wondering if someone's suicidal, um, Smith will have ideas for you. We'll also talk about his nonprofit and his for-profit that he set up. Um, but anyway, I just encourage you to act on the impressions you feel as you listen to this podcast. Is that okay for an introduction? Yeah, that's great. So I just like to get right in this. Um, talk about how pornography came into your life. Yeah, so I always start my story um, on the first day of first grade, um, and I like to I like to relate it to paper cuts, and that's because we've all had you know broken bone. Some of us have had broken bones, some of us have had stitches, but we've all had paper cuts. And on the first day of first grade, I walked in and I was just super excited. Like I loved school, I loved um, the social aspect, and I've always been super smart. And so it all all came kind of naturally to me. And even in kindergarten, there was this girl named Lauren who I really liked, and um, she liked me as well. And um, in kindergarten, we had gone to the Hogel Zoo together, and on, in the backseat of her mom's minivan, she kissed me on the cheek. And so I was just so excited for first grade. Um, I was excited to, to be with my friends and to see where things went with Lauren and... Um, so I went in and I sat down at the yellow table with my friend Jackson, who I'd grown grown up with, um, and then this other girl named Ellie, and we started talking. And then finally, Miss Rooney came in, and she started class, and she said that we were going to introduce ourselves one by one. And so I stood up, and I got really embarrassed and you know nervous, and my my legs started to shake, and I I had a stutter when I was little, and so I go. Uh, my name's Smith and I'm all flustered and I'm embarrassed and I'm angry at myself because it was, it was that one chance I had to, to make a good impression on all of the kids there. And I didn't know what was going to happen now. Maybe Lauren wouldn't like me. And, um, this girl from the red table turns around and she looks me in my, in my eyes and she says, why can't you talk right? And that was the first time I got my very first paper cut. And obviously, these are not the paper cuts that we get on our fingers, but the ones that we get on our hearts. And the the bad the bad thing about those paper cuts is is, is if you don't put a bandage a bandage on them right away, they never heal, and they just open further and further. And 
so this was the day that I kind of bought into the core belief that I wasn't ever going to be good enough, that I was never going to be good enough for um, my parents to be proud of me or to have friends who cared about me or to have a, a God who could, who could really love me. And so I decided um, that day to put up a facade that I was okay because I was always this super smiley kid when I was growing up and I didn't want people to think um, that I was hurting inside, even though I felt like a fraud in my own skin. And, you know, life went on like this. And then when I was nine years old, I was exposed to pornography on this Android tablet that my mom had gotten me for Christmas. And so I see this tablet and for context, my parents were the super strict and the super proactive parents growing up. Like my mom was the woke mom and all of the moms in the neighborhood would go to her to ask her like what filters and what conversations they should be having with their kids. And so we had had all of the conversations about pornography and what to do when you see it. And so I'm thinking back and I'm remembering her, her saying, turn it off and tell an adult. And so I think about it. And so I turn it off and then I think about telling an adult and immediately I remember that kid. And I was worried that even though it wasn't my fault, that my parents would be disappointed or ashamed of me because of what I'd seen. And so I didn't want to tell them about, about what I'd seen. And so I, you know, I turned it off and I, I put it to the side and that was it for, for, for now. Um, and then about a year later when I was 10, it crept back into my life as a small fix to everything that I was feeling and, and dealing with. It was a drug, you know, we've seen, we've seen many studies that, that have come out that show that it does act like a drug. Um, the foundation fight the new drug is based on that. Right. And so at the same time, I got social media and I started comparing myself to everybody, everybody's highlights of their life people on vacation or hanging out with friends when I wasn't invited. And I started to hate this, the situation that I was in. And I'd also see these guys that were just ripped with washboard abs. And that wasn't me. I was always the chubby kid growing up. And so I hated the situation that I was in and I was hating my body. And, um, ultimately I ended up in the eighth grade in my woodshop class. And I, I, I made a plan in that class to, to take my life. And I was so done um, feeling the pain that I thought that was my only option. I felt like I was so evil because what I had been involved in because pornography had changed my, my brain. And so my thoughts every day were just evil. And I just felt so evil. And I thought, if I'm going to go to hell, I might as well make it quick. And so in the eighth grade, I, I made this plan to, to take my life. Um, and in the, in the month after that, I had some life-saving experiences. Um, I talked to, to some people. I met some people who had gone through the same thing that I had and um, also learned about the organization Fight the New Drug. And they taught me that I wasn't a bad kid, but a good, a good kid wrapped up in, in bad content. And so at 14, um, you know, I decided that my life was worth living, but I was still depressed and dealing with anxiety and consuming pornography five to seven times a day. Um, and then on April 23rd, 2018, I had my first run in with the law and my, the parents, con the police contacted my parents and my mom came and picked me up from school 
And I, I knew it was bad. I knew I was going to be in big trouble when I walked out and my dad was in the car. And so if he had, if he had left work for, for this, he, you know, it must be pretty bad. And so as you can imagine, this day was just kind of a, a blow up day and, um, everything. I thought, I thought my world was ending that day. I thought it was all over. I thought that there was no way that I could ever get back onto the right path after that day. But my mom came down to my room that night and she grabbed my face and she said, Smith, I'm going to fight for you, but you have to fight for yourself first. And that, that was the moment that I decided that I was going to become the person who I wanted to be, no matter what my past had been, no matter what the situation was. Um, I would do, I would put in all the work I would do whatever I needed to do to get back onto the right path. And so that, that was the pivot moment for me. And I said, okay, mom, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. And she said, okay, you have a meeting with the bishop tomorrow, 6 p.m. And I was like, oh, like, you know, I was thinking about starting fighting, I don't know, Thursday or maybe next week. Like, do we have to do the appointment with the bishop tomorrow? And so... I, I vividly remember walking up to my to my church, um, dressed up in my clothes, and never had I ever felt Satan yell at me louder than than right then. And he he screamed, he screamed at me, "Don't open that door!" And that's how I know the power the power of the atonement is because right then, right then, I knew that I was about to be saved. So I walked in, and I my bishop was there, and we shook hands. And we went into his office and most of the time I tell people that, that we talked for about 45 minutes, but what happened is I cried for 40 and we talked for five. And so I had this experience and never have I ever felt so much love and non-judgment and just acceptance from a man who I'd maybe had, you know, exchange a few sentences with him every Sunday and then sometimes over youth conference or when the young men went boating. Um, and I just felt so much love from him. And then my dad came down to give me a blessing uh, with the bishop. And when they laid my when they laid their hands on my head, I'll tell you, I do not remember a single word that they said besides Smith Benjamin Alley. I do not remember a single word, but I will never forget the way that I felt that day. I will never forget the way that I felt with with Christ wrapping his arms around me and telling me that it's going to be okay and telling me that no matter that, that it didn't matter where I'd been because his atonement reached, reached all. And that's, that's when I realized that, you know, if, if I could have that experience, everyone should too. And so that, that started my path to, to recovery. Ultimately, um, you know, I joined a recovery group and I got a, a therapist and I started talking about my mental health. Um, and that's where it all started. Um, thank you for sharing that part of your story. A few things I wrote down, listeners, as I was listening to this is I'm struck that you still know the colors of the table back in first grade. Yeah. And I love your visual imagery of a cut to your heart and the impact that you can still remember that experience that's over a decade ago. Remember the names, colors of the table, and how deeply wounding that was for you. The first time that that environment became a potentially wounding environment. Um, I love your line that you had concluded incorrectly. Obviously, you're teaching us um, that I wasn't good enough. And somehow, because of all the things around you, 
um, you came to that conclusion that you realized it wasn't true. I loved how you used the word a small a fix. I recognize listeners, sometimes I look at pornography as what we see in our lives and the lives of others, kind of like an iceberg. It's the stuff above the iceberg. And if you just deal with that, it may not be helpful to solve this long term. You have to kind of get to the bottom of the iceberg. And I think the bottom of the iceberg you were able to figure out maybe with your parents and a therapist. This was like these cuts and it's not feeling good enough and social media and the stress and anxiety. So I don't think, you know, you were waking up one morning and saying, what can I do to displease God? Mm-hmm. Okay, here's a list of 10 things. I'll choose this one. Yeah. I think this innocently came into your life. You knew it was wrong um, and you knew you needed to get over it, but it just cycled into your life. And I have more empathy and understanding for people that have walked your road after hearing more of these stories. Um, I love you being honest about what happened in eighth grade woodshop class, and you actually developed a plan. And I think you'll talk later in the podcast to people that have a plan and what you'd tell them and how you've found hope. But I love um, just your feeling of, you know, talking to your parents, sort of hitting rock bottom. I think in some ways, um, Smith, our, our best moments are those moments, is how we respond in those rock bottom moments. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I don't think God, I think that's the real test of our character um, is what happened in that rock bottom moment and how you and your family and where you turned. And I love your framing of Satan. You said this in the earlier podcast I listened to with Todd, but just talk about Satan's role a little bit more, um, what you think he's trying to do to you and others. Yeah, I think that, well, first of all, I think that anybody who's, experience addiction to to any any sort of thing you know whether that's self-harm or pornography usage or, or substance abuse i think that all stems from from not feeling accepted and you know we we see a lot of people especially go off with with the wrong crowd because they they want acceptance right and i always talk about the the saying misery loves company and i also know that you know, we all have a unique opportunity. I always say I'm grateful for my struggles because without them, I would have never found my strengths. Um, my friend Casey Scott uh, at KSL, he always says, you know, he turned his mess into his message. Um, and I think I think that's really what what life's about. And and I've taken that uh, that perspective into my life now. Like when, when things are hard, um, for example, uh, I have a girlfriend. Her, her name's Bailey. Her dad right now has a has cancer and she just got diagnosed with celiac d- disease, which is like the worst for her. Cause she loves French bread and Mac and cheese. Those are her favorite. And the other day she was feeling really sick and she was like, God really must hate me to, you know, to give me this right now. Um, and I said, what an amazing, what a, an amazing and a, and a hot and a strong refiner's fire. And he must really know that you're very strong to go through this. And I think, I think that's the the perspective that we have to take when we when we see um, this this role of Satan. Because ultimately, Satan's role in this world it's not to have him triumph. Satan's role, and I think this is why God allows Satan to to still exist. You know, God has the power to um, to banish Satan from from anywhere. If it were God's will, Satan wouldn't wouldn't be. But I think that. Satan's purpose is to 
is to make us strong. You know, I think of Job and we actually had a conversation. God didn't do these things to Job. God didn't take away his family and, you know, make him sick and uh, take away his, his prosperity and his land. God didn't do that. He let Satan do that, but God knew that Job was strong enough to get through that. And God knew that on the, on the end of that, um, coming out of that, that Job would be stronger than ever before. And God sent his son so that for those of, who, for those of us who, who aren't strong enough to stay faithful the whole time, that we can still be saved and that we can still come out stronger, even if it means getting a, a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chance. And so I think that's what Satan's role is. I really, I really don't see Satan's power anymore. You know, Satan can, Satan's so temporary. His, his power over us, his influence on us is so temporary because like I said, he only makes us stronger. He only gives us the opportunity to see the dark so that we can then see the light. Um, and I think in my story, you know, if we're talking about where I really saw Satan in my life. And I think this is a big problem with, um, with, with society in general now is with social media and with technology, we've created the adversary um, with technology because Satan's role is to, is to make you doubt yourself. It's a seed of doubt and he doesn't have to do a lot. All he has to do is plant that seed and then our natural man, the, secu- the insecurities that come from that, they help, they help that grow. They help that seed grow. And ultimately we become, and I, I say this, you know, also relating to, to things like bullying, we become the biggest bully of ourselves. Bullying today, it's not like how it used to be when my parents were little. It's no more fighting on the playground and getting a black eye and coming home. Your bully's always with you. They're on your, on your social media account. You're taking them home with you. And they're really there to just plant a little seed of doubt. And then all of your worries, all of your insecurities, your natural man, that's what it feeds on. And so that's what I think Satan is. You know, Satan planted a seed that day that I'm not good enough. And then when I made a mistake, slipping up, that's not a bad thing. But Satan's seed, that turned it into a bad thing, right? Because all of a sudden I'm not good enough again. And it reinforces that seed. But if I were to have this seed of, you know, I'm, I'm just trying. If I, if my perspective all the time were, I'm just trying to, to, to do better and to learn and to grow. Now, when I make a mistake, I'm like, oh, well, I made a mistake. I learned something from it. I always tell people my favorite things to do. I love cars. I love motorcycles. I love exploring. But my favorite thing to do is to do things that I'm bad at and to do things that I will embarrass myself doing because I learn from those things and I can get better. And so I think Satan, Satan is just a seed. He's a, he's a little seed of doubt. And then, and then the things that happen to us, the things that we experience, our natural man, that's what, that's what gives Satan the power to grow in our lives. Great segment. Talk about just ending porn use. So a lot of people listening may be involved in pornography and want to do what you've been able to do is just solve this. So talk more about that. Yeah, so I think the one of the most important things um, for me there's a quote that I love. It says, addiction is grown in solitude and destroyed in community. And for me, I needed a community. Um, I needed, you know, by the way, I'm 18. So this all happened when I was 14. I joined a group. 
I didn't want to be a 14 year old kid talking to my mom about just barely watching porn. You know, I didn't want to come out of my bathroom and go straight up to my mom's room and, and tell her that I just watched porn. And so for me, finding a community and um, that meant this group of young men where I could go and they were all in high school, just like me or in junior high, just like me, or maybe preparing or just having got home from a mission. But they were all so similar to me um, and they were all dealing with the same thing. And so being able to find a community in them, um, that's what I needed. And I think we all need that. And for some people, it's your parents. For some people, it's your family. For some people, it's your friends. Um, you know, if you're like me, it's it's a group that you can go to and talk to people who are in the similar or a similar situation. And so I think that the first thing is is talking about it. Because we all know the difference between um, godly guilt and and Satan shame, and Satan shame comes when when we keep it by ourselves. Satan Satan shame is all about driving us to hide our imperfect our imperfections and our mistakes. Where godly guilt is all about, you know, when God gives us the gift, and I really think that guilt is a gift. That gift drives us to to tell people. Um, and that guilt is what makes us want to be better. And ultimately, when when we have that, what's the next step? It's to utilize the atonement. And I think a lot of the time we think of utilizing the atonement as like an action, right? It's almost like this water bottle right here. We think of utilizing the atonement as drinking the water, right? And then all of a sudden I'm clean, but it's not. What is utilizing the atonement? It's sharing your burden, your trials with Christ. And so I think if we think about that, godly guilt, that's all about sharing with someone. And the first person is Christ. And so when we're able to, first of all, share with share with Christ, utilize the atonement. And second of all, find a find a bigger community, expand on 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 those people because it's hard. It's hard to feel like you have support from someone that you can't you know, talk face to face to, um, and touch. Um, and so I think expanding on that system of, of, um, support and, and knowing that, that people are there for you. I think that's the most important thing that, that you can do. The second thing that I always tell people is to replace the bad with, with good, because, um, as creatures of habit, we always have to be doing something. And if we want to stop, uh, consuming pornography or, or any substance, we have to start doing something else. And so I have goals that I accomplish every day. Um, you know, when I when this all happened, I told my mom that I wanted to get into motorcycles and she grew up with a, a, a physician as a father and my grandpa calls them murder cycles and she never would have thought that she'd let me do that. But to her, the risk of me, you know, the the emotional and the mental risk was far greater than a physical risk of breaking a bone or or getting in an accident. And so I got a motorcycle and I bought my first one and I started working on it. And I, I started replacing the, the bad things in my life with good things and with connection. I got off social media completely because it was too fake for me. It wasn't, um, it, it was too artificial and I wanted real connection in my life. And so I started doing things like that, creating goals. Um, every night I do a mindful habit building, uh, like a journaling technique. 
and the M stands for ministering. So every day I'd try to serve someone. The I is intellect. So every day I'd I'd spend at least 10 minutes reading a book that would make me smarter about things that I'm passionate about, which are business and psychology. Um, the N is a no goal. So I'd have a goal to not do, to change a habit that I didn't like, whether that's my room being dirty or not doing the dishes or, you know, fighting with my siblings. Um, the D is divine connection. So taking time, setting goals about prayer. Uh, one of the, one of the most amazing things that I've ever done is to set like time limits for, for prayers. And so having to pray for three minutes, you really start to dig down deep and you step away from all of those, um, from all of those regular, you know, those regular phrases that you go to and you really get into um, things that you, you're feeling. And then I take three minutes and just sit there in, in the dark, not thinking about anything else, waiting to receive answers. And then I'd pray for another three minutes. And so it was nine minutes altogether. And so I, I set goals like that. Um, the F is fitness. So I'd set goals to work out and to, you know, improve my my physical health, which also, as we've seen in studies, improves your mental and emotional health. Um, and then that U is understanding emotion. I realized that in this society, we there's such a huge emphasis on not feeling, on not um, processing emotion because we're not supposed to have emotion, period. And so taking time to just sit with with my thoughts and with my feelings. And then the L is a letter goal. So I, I'd write a letter either to my past self or to my future self or to my future spouse um, and get perspective from that and really center myself on like who I want to be and where I want to be. And so I do goals like that. And again, that's all all stuff that you're replacing um, this, bad, this bad habit with good. And the last thing that I'll say about that is um, I've realized that no matter what, I will always have an addictive personality. That's just how I am. Um, my dad, when he was 16, he left the house and he went and lived in California by himself and got into the party scene there, which led to alcohol and drugs. Um, ultimately ended up joining the army where he got sober and decided to, to come back to the church. And that's when he met my mom and I have his same personality. It's just how it is. Some of us are, are more prone to addiction and so I've learned that I just need to be addicted to the right things. And if I can be addicted to love and to the gospel and for me, like my work, being addicted to helping people and to, you know, finding those that are lost in, in the darkness and trying to bring them to light. That's, I think, I think that's amazing. I think that's how Christ was. I think that, excuse me, I think that Christ was addicted to making people feel good and to making people feel loved. And I think that's why his, you know, his mortal ministry was spent how it was. Um, great segment, Smith. And, you know, this is a great generation, listeners. Um, the things that they're learning at younger ages, it gives me hope for the future. Um, there were a couple of things I wrote down. I have separated for the last 10 years guilt and shame. Those two words are a lot the same for me. Mm -hmm. But before my, after my YSA assignment, they change, but you just added two words to those. I hope listeners caught that. Godly guilt and Satan shame. Really powerful. And guilt, as Smith is saying, is to me looking forward, being positive. Shame is Satan's tool just to have you look backward and isolate you in self-loathing, 
and just low worth and thinking you'll never be good enough. And so I think Satan's real, and I think his ability to try to isolate us and look backwards is part of the way he potentially is successful. I love um, one of the things you talked about is the need to connect authentically with people about the reality of porn use. And listeners, um, I have a new book coming out called Listen, Learn, and Love, Improving Latter-day Saint Culture. One of the, it comes out in March of 2022, so not long. And I'll link to one of the chapters. You can download a free copy. It's just this very topic. And it's a lot of very consistent with the things that Smith is telling us. But this idea of, um, I've fought a lot of, the, this is, I connected the YSA level when I served in a YSA assignment. A lot of the YSAs I felt like would just say, I'm going to go solve this problem alone. I might talk to the bishop about it. But then I'm going to start dating again, sort of, sort of be in society and never talk to anybody about this, forever put it in my past. And I think that might work for a minority, but I think more need to do what you're doing is be able to find connection with people walking the same road. That seems to be a big part of your path to recovery is this you connected with people. And you opened the door to listeners to do that with friends, with a support group, with parents, with church leaders. And I think you've got to listen to Smith's story, not make it your story, but listen to the principles that he's sharing and the insights that come into your life so that you can do this the best way for you. Um, but I don't think you should do this alone. And I think we should have better messages in our culture about people that are working through porn use because most of the messages we hear from church leaders, from me, I'm not a church leader, but certainly, and from parents is this is bad, um, which is true, but it doesn't sort of create a culture where people feel can open up and share with others or feel the core of them. Just like you said, Brene Brown says, says um, I did something wrong versus I am something wrong. Mm -hmm. And so you've separated your core worth from something that is not you're wanting to put behind you. But I think we need to, I would go back as a parent, Smith, and create um, our kids are out of the home, our six kids home. But it, I would have done this younger listening to you, six or seven, I'd explain intentional and unintentional porn use. And then I would role play with them how I will respond to them. So that even you were wondering about how your mom would respond and she was woke. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and not to say your mom could have improved, but I would encourage parents to role play with your children how you will respond if they open tip about porn use, whether it's intentional or unintentional. And so that they know you're a safe person, even know how you respond and what you'd say. I don't think that's going to increase the likelihood your ch your children watch porn. I think it's going to increase the likelihood they open up to you so you can walk with them on this road. I do that as a church leader. Um, I do that in our culture of our church so that we can, I don't think it increases porn use. I think it increases connection. The very thing that was so helpful for you. Any thoughts on that? Are you okay with that? Or yeah, do you want I to add think, on that? Um, well, we've seen studies that actually talking about these things will actually decrease the use of them. Uh, I also want to say, I love that about, you know, role-playing. We, we do this a lot where, um, you know, we put on parent nights uh, at schools and in communities and, um, one of my favorite things that we do is my mom comes on about halfway cool. through and we talk about the things that, that we did wrong. And so we talk about the no trouble bubble is what we call. And to set that up in your home and to realize like the no trouble bubble is a, a safe space in your home where your kids know the reaction that they're going to get. 
And so if they're struggling with anything, you know, it doesn't have to be porn use. It can be, you know, maybe they got a bad grade on their test or they're stressed about friends or maybe it is porn use. Maybe it's, you know, they're going through some, some troubles with their mental health, whatever it is that they know the reaction of, they know what reaction they're going to get. And so you set this, you set this place up and parents, um, when you're in there, when you hear something that you don't like, your response is to hug them for eight seconds to tell them that you love them and to ask them how you can best support them in becoming the person that they want to be. And that's all you need to hear. And this will help you in so many ways because you don't have to think about what you're going to say. You know, when they ask, Hey mom, can I go talk to you in the no trouble bubble? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You automatically know what your script is because those are the only things that you're allowed to say. And your kids know that as well. Your kids know that they're going to be met with, with an, an initial reaction of love. And so having that, um, also having, you know, uh, if your kid comes up to you and asks if you can talk in the no trouble bubble, you have about 45 seconds until you get there that you can breathe and calm down and remember the things that you're going to say. And so we always talk about that. Um, and then the other thing I just want to mention is you talked about, um, and we talked a little bit about, you know, recovery. And I think the greatest, one of the biggest problems is we, we, we talk to people like they're recovered and people will say, oh, they're a recovered addict. But I think recovery is is a journey that we're all on. Um, And I think that never quits. Like I I will never say that I'm recovered from, from pornography. I mess up and I make mistakes and that, that doesn't matter because the only thing that matters is your attitude during the fight. You know, Christ didn't say, you're going to go through some hard things and then you're going to get back up. And if you can get back up, then I'll make the rest of your life easy. Right. He, he, he never said that we're told to endure to the end. And I, I truly think, think that that means that we're going to get knocked down and we're going to have to get back up and then we're going to get knocked down again. And as long as we can keep getting up until the end, that's what enduring is. Um, and so those are, those are some of my thoughts as, as well. I love the idea of, role-playing that no, that no trouble bubble, because that first time truly is, is a test to see if your kids can trust you. Um, and so being able to set that up and have them try it out, uh, no matter what, what it is that they're dealing with is amazing. I love the no trouble bubble. No one's ever talked to me about that. Um, I love setting up a family culture where you can still have expectations, goals, that you can concurrently have the no trouble bubble where parents can walk with their kids on the reality of their life. And kids don't feel they're letting down their parents if they get bad grades or this or that. And culturally, there's a sometimes toxic perfectionism that you would understand. And that comes into our culture, Latter-day Saint culture, we're very results-oriented. And so sometimes that can be toxic given some kids' personalities. Mm -hmm. And social media, to your point, can add to that. And then the escape can be I just not good enough. So you reach for things to sort of numb the expectations placed on you. And it's this whirlpool. One of the things you said on Todd Sylvester's podcast that I stopped at five o'clock this morning and got out my phone on my coat and is this idea you can be looking forward as you take a step backwards. And I think it's this idea that um 
you know, if we met, if, if we mess up, um, where Satan says you're back to square one, all the good you've done, the atonement, the blessing you got from your father and your bishop, it's all for naught. Mm-hmm. You've messed up, you're back to square one. And I think the savior would say, no, you're one step just moving forward on your journey full of hope and, and sort of then look and say, if I messed up, what happened? Can I look at this as a learning experience to sort of improve my understanding of what's going on so I don't act out or mess up again? So I like this idea. One of the people on the podcast talked about a spiral staircase. He's going up and it's that spiral staircase going up and the general trend is the important thing. But is that, is that consistent with what you're sharing or thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, and I'm going to try and quote a podcast that my friend Luke Petrie did with my late friend, Colin Karshner. Good. Please um, do. And what Luke said, and again, like go listen to the episode. He explains it a lot better than I will. But the Hebrews see, I, I believe it was time as a circle where most of us see it as a line, right? And this is really big in recovery because like I said, a lot of the time we just say we're recovered. And if you're, if you mess up, you're back to that day one, right? And I think that's one of the biggest problems with recovery is that we say, what day are you on? How many years recovered are you? Interesting. Instead of saying, seeing that as a circle and seeing that as, a, like you said, that continuous journey that we're on, it's not a straight line. It's not a calendar date. And then if you mess up, you're back to day one. Interesting. Um, it truly is is that circle. And with the, with the being able to face forward, you know, for a long time, I found myself facing away from God because, because of the shame, because I wouldn't even take the first step to talk to Christ um, and to share with him. And so I was facing away from him while taking steps away from him. Right now today I face God. Don't get me wrong. I take a lot of steps away from him and I take a lot of steps backward, but I am always facing him and I'm always trying to take steps forward. Now it's okay to take a step back as long as you're facing forward. It's not okay to face backwards. That'll never be okay. And so I think, again, this is all just a, a, a mindset. All of these things being able to, you know, the recovery, recovery never ends having that mindset that you're always going to mess up, that you're always going to take a step away from God, but you're going to face him. I always say, you know, I'm not, I'll never be fully recovered. Porn, mental health. These are all things that will, that will follow me forever. Every day I wake up and I see that little chubby kid in the mirror who couldn't talk right, who hated himself. And I have to decide if I'm going to let him in. At the yellow table. Yeah. At the (laughs) yellow table. And I have to decide if I'm going to let him in. Or if I'm going to say, you know, no, I'm going to fight this today. And what I've found is that fight is never over, but you can learn to to find joy and you can learn to love that fight. I love that. I just hope listeners are feeling the spirit of what you're teaching. I used to believe going to the Savior that every time we messed up, we added to his burden. I believe, and I think this is the, the this is the doctrine. He's already paid the price. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes we think, oh no, I've not only messed up, but I've added to the Savior's burden. I look at the parable of the prodigal son listeners, and I think he enjoys forgiving. Mm-hmm. I look at the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. For you and me, it may be difficult to forgive each other if we've offended each other. Or I cut you off on the freeway. Mm-hmm. 
But I think Christ loves to forgive, and I don't think we're adding to his burden. He has already paid the price. So I think that's one of the thoughts that come into our mind that put us back at square one is, oh no, all the suffering he's already done for me is is now doesn't count. I'm back to square one, I messed up again. So I'm just adding to his burden, which just adds to our shame and just sort of says, I'm not going to talk to Christ about this. I'm going to pull away from our heavenly parents in Christ and sort of isolate myself on my own. And that, mm-hmm. to your point, I think is one of Satan's goals to isolate us and take us away from the atonement. So I love what I'd call your pragmatic, and I would say doctrinal-based um, approach to this. It just gives more hope and healing mm-hmm. and perspective. And one of the YSAs taught me the difference between lapse and relapse one day in an interview. He just said, lapse is when you do have a mistake, but you use it as a positive experience to sort of reflect on what happened. If you have a prevention plan, what you could have done differently. Relapse is where you just incorrectly assume you're at square one and you just sort of binge on whatever challenge you have. And I think you're teaching those that do lapse to treat as a lapse. I love your idea of looking forward and sort of understanding what went on and just saying this is, and maybe pragmatically saying this can be part of my life. Um, Just the uh, something that at times I'm going to feel drawn towards or whatever the right vocabulary is. Yeah. And with that, I, want, I just want to say, um, especially with the forgiveness thing. And I think, I think we worry that, that our, our sins and our, our mistakes um, add on to, to the troubles of the people that we love to. And I think it's the same way with, with the savior that it, that's not true. I, I kind of see it as, if I were to take you and your family out to dinner and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm covering the ticket and we go to this dinner and I, I called ahead and I made sure that there was a, a bunch of wonderful to, uh, food on the table. So we walk in and to this really nice restaurant and there's all this food on the table and then no one decides to eat. I, I would be offended. You know, I just spent all this money, $300 on your family and no one ate. But if I were to provide this all for you in in advance and you were to graciously partake of it, that that would make me happy, right? And so I, I see that as the way of, of the Savior's atonement is that he's already provided for everything. And when we graciously partake of that, of that gift, that's when he he's happy. Um and so I think I think that's important to remember is like partake of it because He's paid for it. You know, he's paying for the waiters that are waiting on you. Um, and he's paying for that shiny, those shiny utensils. He's paying for all of those things. He, he's, he's already paid. You just need to, you just need to partake of it and do it graciously. Do it, do it with, by thanking him. And so um, I think, I think that's another, another important thing to remember. Um, and of course, like you said, just echoing that um, about, finding those laps instead of instead of relapse and remembering that there is no square one there is no um like i said i'm grateful for my struggles with every struggle you find a strength and maybe that's as simple as you slipped up and you watch pornography again but that means you go and you tighten up the the filters that you have even little things they might not be big but um you can still strengthen yourself through those Talk about, um, you're going to marry somebody someday. You mentioned you have a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. She's going to know this part about you. Um, And I think it's a good thing that she knows this part about you. And I think it makes you a better husband and father. But why, one of the, 
just talk about the fact this is going to be part of you when you go into this marriage and your children are going to know this about you and why that is a good thing. I'm, I'm, it's a leading question. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking you're thinking it's a good thing, not necessarily yeah. the porn use, but all the lessons that have come into your life. Cause that, I want you to talk to a young man. And the other thing is there's women that have this challenge too. Of when I do pornography podcasts with a man, I get a bunch of messages from women saying there's more shame around women right now because we have the same challenge, but there's just less people talking about yeah. it. Yeah. And you understand that. So this could be a podcast with a woman talking to women, but talk about just, um, I've sort of lost my question a little bit. Just talk about your wife and why this can be part of an understanding and, and yeah, this is talking to young people saying, my future is forever changed because I'll never be able to marry the person I wanted to marry because I've had a period of time with porn use. Right. Um, yeah. And, and first of all, just addressing, you know, um, women with porn, the majority of all people, um, 17 to 24, are, are viewing pornography. There was a study done at BYU-Idaho uh, a few years ago that that showed that over, I believe it was over 76% of men were watching um, pornography regularly and over 64% of, of women. And so I don't, you know, I'd have to look up the statistics exactly, but it was something like that. And so half of everyone there, you know, over half, almost three quarters of everyone there is struggling with this. And I think it's a big thing. And I agree that the shame around women is, is more now because we're like, oh, I thought, you know, only men went and picked up the Playboys. Um, and so that's the first thing. The second thing uh, with with my future, I talked about my dad um, and about his his experiences. Now, in those times when he used to go through a stressful day and after he'd say, yeah, man, Smith, these are the kind of days where I wish I could just sit back and open up a beer or take a glass of whiskey. And that made me relate to him. That made me feel like he was human too. And hearing his story, hearing the lessons that he learned, that's what gave me hope for, for my life. Because I, I had seen all of these examples. Um, you know, my dad had friends and military buddies and family members that didn't, that had had was that they were involved in the same things that my dad were and but they didn't choose to come back and so for me knowing that he had the same experiences as me or at least like the same feelings of not being loved and accepted and that drove him to substance abuse that made me feel like I could relate to him that because ultimately you know this is the plan of happiness there's a reason why we were sent here And the reason was to experience trials. And so why would we ever pretend like we haven't had them? Why would we ever pretend like it's not a part of our lives? Because our kids are going to come here and the first thing that they're going to experience is trials. And if they can't relate to someone, if they can't find love and um, compassion with, with their parents, how are they supposed to, like, how are they supposed to find the, the ability to, to utilize the atonement. And that's why it'll always be a part of me is because, you know, we, we talk about, there's that scripture. Um, and it's that the gathering together upon the land of Zion and upon her stakes may be for defense and for a refuge for, from the storm. 
um, John, no, not John, DMC, something, I don't know. Um, it was our seminary theme. I should know because I'm the seminary council president, but I don't. Um, and so that, like, that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be a refuge from the storm. And if you really, if you really think about those, those analogies, like people who are a refuge from the storm, if you think about the winds are, the winds are blowing and the rain's coming down, the people that are inside, they know what's going on outside. They've been out there, right? They've, they've been soaked and that's why they're inside now because they've had that experience and they don't want to go stand in the rain again, but they're, they're a refuge. You know, they say, come in, we know how you feel. I, you know, when I, when that happened to me, I felt cold. Let's sit you by the fire, um, things like that. And so I think we have to be able to relate to our, to our kids and to our, um, to the younger generation, if we're going to help them at all. And I think that it's one of the biggest problems in, in our church today. I always, um, talk about the, the older generation in our church, especially a lot of them, you know, they talk about how they read scriptures five hours a day and that they pray for nine hours. Like there's such a limitation and there's, there's no acceptance for like, there's no room for error with them. For a lot of the older generation, there's no room for error. And that's, that's one of the the biggest problems that we have is like, if you think that there's no room for error, if you're going to bad talk the the person who's viewing pornography or who lost his house because he's out on the streets now or who, you know, had a divorce because he's an alcoholic. Yeah, they're making bad choices, but they're not bad people. And if you think for one second that there is no room for error, for error then you don't believe in the atonement because the atonement is the room. Christ, Christ offered the space for us to make error. And I think that's what we need to accept today. That's what we need to accept is that there is room for everyone, for anyone struggling with, with addiction or with, with mental help. If you, if you think that there's no hope, there is hope. Your room for error, the reason why you do not have to be perfect is because of Christ. And it's because of his love. And that is the reason why we are here. That's the, you know, if there weren't, if there wasn't a way to, to return back, God would never have sent us here because his goal is for us to return. And that's why he offered Christ. You're 18, Smith. I'm deeply moved by that segment because your understanding of the atonement and of our doctrine. And listeners, um, I put in this chapter just that I came to believe, maybe at the beginning, my wise say, Simon, that anybody should flee someone that's had a past or current porn problem. But I found more nuance in that. I think everybody should receive personal revelation. But some of the very best men I know, um, as I came to that assignment, are men like Smith that had. I'd worked through this and they were better for it. Mm-hmm. Um, their understanding of the atonement, their developed Christ-like attributes, their ability to be vulnerable, real, connect on an authentic basis was part of the reason their spouse fell in love with them. They didn't, they look at this as a sin, they both did, but it actually brought them together. And the spouse often up, the future spouse opened up about the realities of his or her life. And so you weren't just this perfect couple going into a marriage with just kind of a common um, connection in the church and desire for a temple wedding and in love, you were able to develop a foundation based on vulnerability, trust, being authentic. And um, then often the spouse would realize you're going to be a better father 
just like your own father is to you. They're going to look at your journey through your teenage years with all the things you worked through. They go, he will be the go-to guy and help. we'll both be the go-to parents because we've walked this road. And that's a big difference between I'm 60 and you're 18 is you're the first generation managing 24-7 access and on social media. And you know that's a big difference in my generation. Um, but I think this is peaking with your age group because you are going to be the church leaders, the fathers, the mothers, the young women's president, young men's presidents, and will have just your own individual tools because you've walked this road to help the next generation. And brave people like you are stepping forward to share your experience. I call you the wounded healers. I read this quote a little bit on the podcast, and I want to talk about another subject in a second. A minister's service, and that's you, um, Smith, is will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led to the desert by someone who's never been there. Mm. And we're kind of the... Our generation sometimes doesn't know those deserts, and so we can't authentically lead people out. You have this great gift. We'll get to your for-profit and your not-profit and the hundreds of thousands of people you're speaking to, including our own stake um, this Sunday night. Um, coincidentally, I booked you for this podcast, and I heard you were coming to speak to our stake, and I mm -hmm. thought, that is great news. And you'll probably talk more about social media. We haven't quite gotten to that. But you are the wounded healer. It's one of the greatest gifts we have is to be able to authentically lead someone else out of the desert because we know the desert. And um, I think of the prodigal when he came back, and I think he had godly guilt because he came back. He looked forward and he says, I'm going to, I, and then, but he also self-determined his future. He says, I'm going to be a servant. Yeah. And so I think um, that's the beauty of that parable is when his father, which I think represents Heavenly Father, this, if you're met him, he put a robe on a finger, robe on his shoulder, a ring on his finger, and he says, you come back as a son. Mm -hmm. And it forever answers the question, we're in the faraway desert. Um, we all are in our respective Babylons at times in our life. Do we come back as sons and daughters or servants? And you came back as a son. And you're worthy of whoever you marry, and you're worthy of everything that's coming for you in your life, and your life isn't changed. But that's one of the lies of Satan, is that we come back different. And our, I call it a we ha it's just it's it's not the way the atonement works and you have learned that and you look at your life as better mm -hmm. <laughs> and not changed and the woman you marry isn't your your future isn't changed because of your past in fact i think your future opens up because of the lessons you've learned yeah and real quickly i know we're going to move on to another segment but i learned in my recovery group um one of one of my, uh, one of the therapists that hosts it, his name is um, Brighton. And he said that as a young man or a young woman struggling with pornography, it is your duty before your significant other gives you their heart. It is your duty to tell them about everything that has ever happened because they need to know that they are giving it to someone who is safe. And after hearing your story, if it is their choice to walk away, that's their choice, but they need to know before. And that's what I think the godly guilt's about is that's telling them before. That's, you know, I, I'm never going to hide anything of my past because if someone wants to think less of me because of it, I don't care. I I know that Christ does not think less of me. Um, and so for, for me and what I've learned is that it is your duty before 
before you step into that, before you, you know, you give someone your heart, your heart or take theirs that, that you, that you open up about those things. So for, for any of you struggling with that, listening, that's my advice. I think that is great advice. I second that advice. And, um, I think that should happen sometimes before you're engaged. I mean, I don't think it probably happens on the first date and, and that could end the relationship. But my experience is it often brings you together Yeah, and it allows the other person to open up. And I love your term, give their heart. Um, sometimes we have these checklist things where I'm never going to marry someone who blah, 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 blah. And I realized I had that, but I learned to look for the core goodness of their soul without a checklist. So sometimes I hear people says, I'll only marry a virgin. And I would caution people on that. You're, the value you're looking for is virtue. And you may, as someone opens their heart, they may talk about being sexually active before marriage, and you may say, well, that's a deal breaker, but you may not. You may be able to say, what's the principle here? Is that a checklist or is that a principle? And I'm looking for virtue. I'm looking for these type of things. So I think that's an effort to get past our checklist sort of culture and getting into the core of a person. Mm-hmm. I mean, quickly, you and I, you and I talked about this before um, with me. I'm right now currently not planning on serving a mission, uh, at least not right after high school. And that's a big checklist. You know, that's the reason why I'm not going down to BYU is because there's there are a lot of people and a lot of girls who aren't willing to marry someone who's not a return missionary. Um, and, you know, I think that there's, like you said, that's, that's not, um, principle. That's, that's a checklist item. So yeah, I love that. Talk a little bit since you've opened that up and you're kind of a pretty open guy, which is part of your mission. Talk a little bit about your feelings about a mission and okay. why you, I sent you have a really deep testimony of the church. So it's not a testimony issue. It's sort of just what's my life mission, my best way to serve. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about this a, a little bit before, but for me right now, uh, I have the opportunity, and I, I feel like we're going to get into this with my with my nonprofit. So I'll go there. I have a nonprofit called the Live Life Bigger Foundation, um, and through that, I I travel and speak about the harmful effects of social media and pornography. I advocate about mental health and suicide prevention. Um, and in the last year and a half, I've been able to speak in front of close to a hundred thousand people, um, share my message through podcasts and and such with over a hundred thousand people. And, you know, I, I really, I get the opportunity to, um, to testify of the atonement, which I told you and, you know, having someone like me who's young and who has a, a intimate story with the atonement going to a stake full of young men and young women who are struggling there, there's a lot of power in that. In fact, I, I spoke at a stake in holiday and there were three, well, there were three wards that came together to do this fireside. And one of the bishop had 20 young men attend. And after 24 hours of the presentation, there were seven young men who had made an appointment to go meet with the bishop. And so I feel like I'm doing God's work. And I feel like, you know, what is his work? It's to bring people, it's to gather Israel and it's to bring people unto Christ um, to accept his atonement. And I do that. And so I... I haven't seen and I haven't felt peace about leaving the work that I'm doing right now um, to go serve in a foreign country. And I, I think that's okay. And I think, you know, I can do a lot of good here. I think that we're all given different talents and that if we can utilize them in different ways that, you know, God will never, 
God will never um, discredit someone who is truthfully putting their all into doing that work. And so that's something that I've been dealing with a lot, especially lately, is just, you know, how I can how I can better that and how I can become become better because of it. So thanks for being honest with that. And another chapter in this book, Listen, Learn and Love, Improving Latter-day Saint Culture is what I'm calling variations in mission service, including um, those that feel their path is not to serve a mission. And honoring their personal revelation, their personal agency. I don't have personal revelation for you, Smith. Um, my job is to help you receive personal revelation for you and then not sort of hang over your shoulder and judge your personal revelation and recognize you know best your path. And and I recognize there are people that feel their path isn't to serve a mission, but the culture can be pretty hard on them. And they feel like they don't measure up. They don't feel accepted. They feel judged. And so I think you can navigate that, but I think we need to improve the culture just to honor individual paths, what people feel is their best path forward and, mm-hmm. and recognize that you are blessing a lot of people's lives in a very unique way and support you as you go to uh, Utah State. I want you to talk about, you talked in, for those that are suicidal, you were suicidal. I love that you were open about that. Talking about suicide doesn't increase the risk someone chooses to die by suicide. Talk, you were in the eighth grade shop class with a plan. Um, talk to those that are suicidal right now. Yeah, I mean, like I said, especially those in the church, I felt like I was an evil person and that there, there wasn't stopping that, that I was just naturally, my core was evil. And that's not how we were made. I truthfully believe that all of us were created for the, for the um, opportunity to be happy. And so... I think that we need to focus more on that. I think, you know, for those of you who are struggling that there's help, um, you can you can reach the Suicide Prevention Lifeline uh, at 1-800-273-8255. Um, or if you're in Utah, you can uh, currently di- dial 988 at any time. Um, it's it's kind of like the emergency um, line, line for that as well. But ultimately, ultimately, Suicide stems from the fact that we decide that our, our only option out is is to die. And like I said, your room for error for all of you listening that are struggling with that is is Christ. And and if you are having struggle, if you're having a problem with your testimony, if you're having a problem believing in that, know that your the room for error is that we all have error. And it's that we all struggle. And so we're all going to need just a little bit of slack, a little bit of breathing room. And you deserve that too. And you deserve to be here. And you are already a one in a million chance. And and that means something. And it means something that you're here. And in fact, I'm going to pull something up real quick that I, that I read. Um, and it's, you've survived, you've survived everything that you've ever been through to this point. Realize who you are. Realize that through, you know, however many years of, of trials and of tribulations and of pain and sorrow and struggles, however many years of those things that you've been through, you have survived. And because of that, you are strong. Even if you feel weak, because of that, you are, are a warrior and, and you can make it to the next day. And the other thing I want to say is when... Um, 
when a storm rolls in to the valley and it and it rains and it thunders we don't assume that that it'll it, that it'll always be like that right we don't assume that well i guess from now to the end of the earth or from now until the second coming it's just going to be rainy right we know that excuse me we know that ultimately winds will blow the clouds will leave and the sun will shine again and we have to have that same outlook on life that ultimately with enough work if we can try hard enough that the clouds they'll blow over and the sun will shine again but it takes something to get there and it takes those things um i talked about the journaling and that was something that helped if you don't feel self confident do small things every day so that you know that you can accomplish something i want to have you talk in a second but i just had a thought um it's a great segment and listeners and i think you kind of talked about this also to add to continue the thought about those that are thinking of suicide is you talked about writing letters and i've always imagined if your older self could talk to you right now your older self would be so glad you stayed mm-hmm. even if you feel no light at the end of the tunnel no hope think of your older self because i think he or she would tell you that it was worth it to stay and you maybe the greatest gift you'll be able to do is just what Smith is doing is help other people stay. That's the most rewarding, perhaps, payday. Um, being in your most difficult, darkest times is then the ability to be the wounded healer and help others. So you're going to authentically lead people out of this space. So please stay. And I love the numbers that Smith shared. I, I'm i going to go back to your BYU-Idaho numbers and uh, my own YSA assignment. The men was consistent with what you said. The women wasn't. And here's why I think, is I think it's hard for women to go talk to a male bishop about this. And culturally, it's harder for them to open up. And so I think that's an area we can improve our culture. In hindsight, I wish I'd gone into Relief Society and sort of said as a group, so it isn't shaming anybody individually, you know, for those of you that have porn use a part of your life, you're welcome to talk to me about it. This is what I'll say. And sort of role play that conversation with all Relief Society. This is you that are local leaders. In any situation, just sort of talking about how you'd role play those discussions if somebody opens up to you, young woman's leader, the society president, I'll walk with you, I'll respond this way. And to your point, I don't think that increases porn use. I just think it increases the connection you're talking about, which in your story and every story I've heard is so key. So I think the statistics you shared are about right. Um, I just recognize that because of some of the dynamics, me being male, um, for women working through porn use, that was harder. And maybe that's where a Relief Society president, young women's president, a friend can help. And you've got to talk to somebody to do the things that um, Smith has done. Let's talk about your two. I want, we'll put in the show notes, listeners, um, the website, and I wrote it down here, livelifebigger.org. That's your nonprofit. Just you've mentioned that a little bit. Just tell people about that. Yeah. So, uh, like I mentioned, through my nonprofit, I travel and speak uh, about the social, about the harmful effects of social media and pornography to schools and youth groups and communities. Um, And then we also put out podcasts and newsletters. And we're currently working on a suicide prevention concert that's going to be happening June 11th uh, at the D Event Center up in Weber State. And so uh, we do stuff like that. And then I also have a for-profit called Protect Strong. I saw this huge gap of my parents' generation is the only generation in the history of the world 
that grew up without technology, but is having to raise these digital ninjas. And so I think that... (laughs) That is so true. (laughs) Yeah, I think that with that, especially being a teenager who I was thrifty and I got around a lot of these filters and restrictions, um, I'm bringing that that knowledge and that information and helping parents stay on top of it. And so um, I started by doing just like one-on-one consulting with families and now it's moving towards like video workshops and large parent workshops. So that's what we're doing right now. On the 12th, we'll have our very first Raising Kids in Combat workshop, um, which I'm super excited for. Uh, and then we're going to keep doing that. And I I did film a video workshop with Colin Karshner before he passed. Still working on getting that out as well. I'm glad that I read, listened how you found that footage mm-hmm. and are able to make have that come to life. That honors him. Yeah. So listeners, check out these, you know, sometimes we put a lot of links in the podcast. If you're just going to go to two things, go to love or livelifebigger.org or pro, pro spell the protectstrong.com because yes. it's unique spelling. Protectstrong is P-R-O-T-E-C-H-T. So it's protect, but with tech in there because you protect your tech. Um, and then strong.com. And then... You can find us on Instagram the same way, live.life.bigger, and then at Protect Strong, spelled the same way. So I'll put off four of those links. Those links are to two different organizations to keep them in your mind, but I'll put four links in there. The website plus the Instagram pages. I'll put a link to the, the chapter I referenced about pornography. It just goes in the subject a little bit more. Um, this has been a terrific podcast. You have a really unique life mission. You're 18. You're articulate, um, you're authentic, you have a great understanding of the atonement. Listeners, if you may feel like this is, everybody needs to do this their own way. So Smith is acting on his talents to do this his way. You don't need to be Smith to be able to make a difference in our community or in your circle of influence. Do take the principles and the insights um, that he shared and act on the impressions you feel. You may feel impressed to connect with his organizations and sort of scale what he's already doing. You may have felt impressed to do something on your own. Your story may be a little different on your path to um, put pornography behind you. And so I'm always hesitant when I have one guest on the podcast where people want to make it their story. I don't think Smith's asking to make it his story, but take the principles from his story, the insights, um, the impressions you feel as a parent or as a youth, or is whatever space you're in to influence things for good. Um, You might listen to this podcast a couple of times because there's a lot of really golden nuggets on here, but I'll turn it back to you. If there's anything else, we've got some more time. If you want, there's anything else you want to share, any other thoughts that came to your mind, Mm -hmm. go for it. Yeah. I think the last two things that I'd say is that, like I said, every morning when you make, when you wake up in the mirror, that Satan's going to be hounding you. And you're going to hear those nasty things about yourself. And if you can't find something beautiful about yourself, get a better mirror, look a little closer and stare a little longer because there's something inside yourself that keeps on trying despite everyone who told you to quit. And I think that's so important to remember that, that there is, like I said, through everything that you've been through, you're still here. Realize who you are. And the last thing is, this is heavy stuff. Uh, These topics are very heavy. Don't leave feeling hopeless, leave feeling hopeful. Um, Dream a big dream, become the person that you've always wanted to become and live life bigger. Love it. 
So thank you, Smith Alley. Um, our prayers that you continue to be sustained in your unique life work and where people are able to connect with you. I love the way you're scaling this um, be, through the media platforms you're using because um, I love what you're doing, but you're scaling it is the word I'd use. So you can take it to hundreds and hundreds of thousands of perhaps millions of people connect with your work. There's such a need for this. And you've seen it in the response to your firesides and everything that you do. And I'm glad you're speaking in our stake and many others. So this is Richard Osler and Smith Benjamin Alley. I think mm -hmm. I caught your middle name in there. Signing off and a credit to your parents and everybody in your life. Signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>